Blog Talk Radio. Have no fear, uh, listeners. This There is somebody manning the microphone tonight at GT Keeper Radio. It's me, Bill Stiegel. Uh, as a lot of you know, uh, the boss, Buddy Buscemi, is not going to be available tonight to do the show. Uh, he is saving lives in a hospital on the East Coast. So, uh, Buddy, thank you for helping your fellow man and uh, myself and guest host Ryan Young will Man and controls, and I hope we do a good a good job for you. So, this is uh, the next episode of GT Keeper Radio. It's September twenty fourth, two thousand and seventeen. Uh, I'm going to here uh, bring on our guest host Ryan Young uh, for a few minutes, and then shortly after that, we will introduce Harlan Wall, who uh, is going to be our official guest on the show tonight. So, I look forward to speaking with both of those guys. Um, a lot of you, uh, the listeners, know Ryan Young. He's a, a former guest and friend of uh, GTP Keeper Radio. He was on the show, uh, I think it was 2016. We had a really good show with Ryan. Um, I'm going to ask him to uh, talk about what he's got going on this year and anything he wants to update us with before we bring Harlan on. So having said that, let's see if, if I can get Mr. Ryan Young on here. Hey Ryan, how you doing? Pretty fair yourself. Doing great. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight. I know it was kind of a last-minute uh, deal, and we called a bunch of other important people, and they weren't available. So I, uh, I was glad that well, you uh, were able to fill in. <laughs> well, figures I'm low man on the telephone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were the last guy I called, literally. Well, I guess the first one to say yes, so it works out. <laughs> Well, we're glad to have you, and um, I know I, I think you probably heard in the intro. Uh, why don't you just spend a couple of minutes telling the listeners, kind of catching us up with what you've been doing? I haven't talked to you in a while, um, so you know, kind of maybe what you're working with now and what's going on in your life. Um, well, mostly, uh, you know, general python breeding. My green tree python colony is mostly a ruse. I have a small colony of uh, Manaquarize, but they have not begun breeding yet, so so far it's just a ruse for the last few years. Nice. Yeah, I mean, your Aru stuff's in- incredible. Um, 
How many clutches of a ruse have you produced? Uh, I think uh, five or six. I think five or six, yeah. This year I nice. have two clutches. And they both uh, they both have hatched? Yeah, one How was many from... Uh, the first clutch I had was actually kind of a miracle experiment, I call it. The... Uh, I bred that female in 2015, and uh, she retained a few eggs. Uh, and then I think it was three or four days after she laid eggs, I found her in her cage the next morning with about 22 inches of her oviduct wrapped around her perches and all over the cage. And oh. It, it oh was quite God. a nasty mess. And, uh, so I wish I would have taken pictures, but in the panic, I uh, didn't think about posterity, so I grabbed her, untangled the mess, and lubed up all the uh, oviduct with uh, KY jelly and stuffed it, hung her upside down and stuffed it back in and taped her cloaca shut. And I expected her to die, uh, but lo and behold, a few weeks later, she started showing interest in food when I was feeding the rest of my collection, so I fed her. And then I was wondering, well, was she going to be able to go to the bathroom, or is there going to be any problems there and that wasn't an issue and so then I figured I would Damn. give her away to somebody in the pet because I didn't I really didn't expect to breed her again uh, but I just had her for the next you know 18 months and I thought well I don't <laughs> I want to see what will happen so I uh, paired her up again and she ovulated which I half expected when she ovulated I half expected there to be some complication killer. with yeah. that that would kill her, and they didn't. And uh, so I caught her. Uh, she never went in her nest box or anything like that. I caught her laying eggs, um, and I caught most of the eggs myself. But uh, and they were there was uh, twelve perfect eggs, except the ends of the eggs were not very well calcified. I don't know if that had yeah. anything to do with her oviduct issues or or what, but during incubation, it caused some issues, and I lost quite a few of them. But I did end up hatching, uh, what, three. One crawled out of the egg and then strangled itself, but the other two were doing good. So Good. That, I was pretty surprised so that many, you could read it all. <laughs> you hear so many bad uh, chondro stories, it seems like. that. It's, it, it's good to hear a good one, a good outcome every once in a while from a catastrophic event. Yeah, I like I said, I was completely I expected many different things to kill her along the way and I was not expecting not expecting it. <laughs> so it was uh, an interesting experience to say the least. I think they're a little more tougher than we give them credit for. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. What else is going on? Um just I expanded the uh snake building. Um another 12 feet so that I can move, have a bigger collection. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, everybody needs that. But, uh, yeah, your wife was, your wife was ecstatic. I'm sure. Uh, she was actually ecstatic because uh, I wanted to, I wanted to subdivide my property and move to the other side of it and build a whole new building on the other side. And that would have entailed uh, a lot, a lot bigger headaches, so she was happy that I did this, and now she's got me staying in this house. So. 
Well, good deal. Um, I told you before, I, I think a couple of weeks ago, I'm going to, here in the next 18 to 18 months to two years, make a move. And so I'm going to definitely be pulling on your ear for some, some info about how to save myself a bunch of hassle. Yeah, no problem. I've, uh, this will be my second freestanding snake building build in the third or fourth or fifth snake room. So I've got a few yeah. insights. Yeah, I bet. I bet you do. Uh, Ryan, the other thing I wanted you to touch base on uh, just for a minute, um, I think most of the listeners know that a new Green Tree book has come out that uh, Justin Julander and Terry Phillip has, have written and published. Um, I A lot of people have already gotten their copy, and I've gotten mine. I just have gotten through about a, a fourth of the book, and I noticed in the beginning, uh, well, first of all, that it was dedicated to Rico, which is completely awesome, and I'm glad to see that they did that. And secondly, that you were acknowledged in there. So maybe you could just uh, kind of tell us a little bit of what you know about the book and, and if, what your role in, in, in that was. Um, maybe just, you know, sharing my thoughts with Justin several times over the years and, and Terry as well. Um, me and Terry, you know, feel pretty similarly about things. So that, uh, was easy, and then uh, so then they ran with it. So good for them. Yeah, very good for them. Um, so they were basically just kind of bounce some ideas off of you, as far as uh, nothing specific. It was just they, you know, they were talking. To, I spent some time with Justin on the phone and in person a couple times, and just talking about Green Tree Python husbandry and my thoughts you know, about kind of just keeping it simple, stupid, and making it a lot yeah. easier, um, and uh, and expressing my concern over previously published works that I thought were yeah not, not very good, I guess. So right, it's um, it was a long time coming, I guess, to get something that compiled the scientific literature in a manner for the average keeper. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I've gathered uh, in, in the part that I've gone through. It looks like they kind of updated a little bit of the more modern thinking in, in the husbandry aspects uh, of keeping green trees since uh, Maxwell's book. So that that was nice to start to get a handle on that. So we're going to try to get those guys on, on the show to review their, their book and, uh, and promote it. So hopefully we can make that happen yeah. in the near future. Nice. Well, I I think uh, Harlan has called in, so I'm going to bring him on here in just a second. Um, let me let me let me look at uh, Wikipedia here. Harlan Wall. Let's see. Colorado native, currently living in Grand Junction, Colorado. Uh, blah blah blah. Uh, Harlan studied herpetology at Colorado Mesa University, the Colorado Mesa University. Uh, it says here he's been keeping and working, been working with green trees since green trees since the early 1990s, and I think Harlan uh, related best to me earlier. Uh, if the reptile or reptile has been legally available in the market, he's likely worked with it. So he has a lot of experience. He's been on the show uh, once before. I missed that episode, but uh, 
He's been on the show recently, so without further ado, let me introduce Mr. Harlan Wall. Hey, Harlan. How Hello. you doing? Hey, how are you doing, man? Doing great. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Did I get most of that intro so, uh, stuff yeah, correct? Yeah, I think that was great, man. That's great. Yeah, you know, uh, life's good, man. It, it's uh, it's funny. I think we're always, uh, everybody's always kind of um, uh, doing the daily grind, and we are, we're always uh, in the shuffle trying to keep the bills paid and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, last night I went on a walk with my with my wife and kids at night. We went on a walk in the park. And it was just a nice breath of fresh air, and it gives you a chance to kind of reflect on things. And I was like, man, you know, life's good. It's, things are all right. It's, there's always room for improvement in everybody's, everybody's circle, but sometimes it's nice to just get out and, and hang time with your, with your, your loved ones and, and see the real priorities in life and, and just breathe in and enjoy what, you, what you've been blessed with. And so uh, life's good, man. How about yourself? Yeah. Amen to that. I couldn't, uh, couldn't agree more. It's Sometimes it's hard to just step back and catch your breath and get away from all the stuff that we think we feel like we have to do every minute of every day and just uh, enjoy the ones you're with. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, Harlan, uh, how are you introduced to Condros? You know, uh, I have a, a friend, uh, Larry Valentine. Uh, I w- I've always been... Uh, crazy about uh, snakes in general. When I was just a, a pup, I was out, uh, you know, catching skinks. This is over on the Front Range uh, in the uh, east of Denver, kind of or the Aurora area. And I was catching skinks and lizards and things and bringing them home. And my mother said, "You better never bring a snake home." And like a week later, I caught my first bull snake and brought it home. I had no idea what I had, and and. Uh, so that got me in. I was always kind of every time we'd go to the library, I was like, I got to, you know, snake books, snake books, dinosaurs, all that kind of stuff as a kid. And then as I got older, we moved to the western slope. I live out here in Grand Junction, um, like a, a stone's throw from the Utah border. Um, and uh, so anyway, uh, a friend of mine, I met, I met this guy who had uh, who lived oh, about 50 or 60 miles away from me, uh, who kept a lot of reptiles and uh that's where I got my first introduction to green tree pythons. He was keeping green trees uh, back then. It was all wild-caught stuff back then. And, um, and he gave me my first uh, green tree pythons and with a lot of tutelage as well. And uh, I, ca- I call him my adopted dad. That's Larry Valentine. Some of the old-school cats may remember uh, Larry Valentine, and, and he's just a, a really good guy. Uh, he says... Uh, he, he's full of knowledge, and I'd always, you know, uh, pump him for information. He's like, oh, I've probably, uh, you know, f- forgotten more than you've learned, you know, that kind of thing. But he's really a great guy, and, and uh, in fact, when I w- went on that last trip to Brazil, uh, I went and stayed with him, and, and uh, you know, he flew me out there, and it was good. Uh, but, but anyway, yeah, he introduced me to Condros, and then also, you know, it just ha- happenstance, I happened to, you know, be in Colorado, and that's where Bushmaster Reptiles is located. And um, you know, I, I, my first trip to Bushmaster was uh, was with uh, my buddy Larry, and um, and it just kind of rolled on from there. It just kept kept kind of going from there. And uh, so I, you know, I got introduced to it fairly early after Indonesia was open. You know, Indonesia had been closed for forever, and 
and then as soon as it as soon as it was opened uh, and the animals were coming in, I was kind of sitting right, uh, you know, at the floodgates, so to speak. So so pretty lucky. Harlan, when, when was that approximately? What what year did Indo open up for exportation? Uh, you know, I, I want to say, say? That, that I want to say that it's like uh 1990 something 89 90 something in 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 that in that realm um yeah i can't say exactly but but it was in that in that neck of the woods uh era wise you know things were really different back then we we've got a um a little historical perspective for you uh the the way business was conducted is con- completely different than the way things are done now um there was no texting there was no Really, there was no internet. So, um, you know, I mean, there was internet, but it really wasn't. You know, it, if you if you've heard if you know the sound of dial-up, you know, the, this younger generation's probably never even heard that that screeching, buzzing, <laughs> clicking, yeah. weird. You know, yeah. uh, sounds like a sci-fi movie dial-up. But you know, uh, yeah, it's a not a lot yeah, of people motor. didn't have. Most businesses didn't have websites or anything like that. It was very, very. So almost all of the deals were done through periodicals uh, like. Uh, Vivarium or uh, Reptile and Amphibian magazine, the little one, and then there was Reptiles magazine. You know, I can remember getting the very first copy of Reptiles magazine and and uh, you know flipping through it. And, and uh, back then, you had to do the old SACE, you know, uh, self-addressed stamped envelope. You'd send, you find some <laughs> back in the classifieds. You'd you'd find somebody that boy, they really they could really just talk with this polish, this kind of veneer of oh, he's got the stuff. And so you, you had to send a SACE, for those who don't know, stands for self-addressed stamped envelope. And most people don't use stamps anymore, but, you know, um, you, you still, you'd, you'd self-address this envelope, stick it inside of another, another envelope, and you've got a stamp on yours. And you stick it inside the other envelope and stamp it and then send it off. And then a guy gets in, and he would send you, like, a stack of pictures and his price list. And so he's got multiples of these pictures because he sent them out to a lot of different customers. Uh, the Kodak huts were were off the hook. They were they were making all kinds of money on on a reptile uh, breeders who were. I need umpteen copies of these these images. You know, it was it, you know back then uh, no digital cameras, so everything had you had to wait to be, to be developed. And he would write the price you know like on in a sharpie marker on the back of the the picture, and he'd give you two copies, and you kept uh, uh, you know. Th- the copies, except you pull one of the two copies out, you stick it in the envelope and with your check, and uh, this is the animal that I want. Here's the payment for it, and you'd ship it off to him, and then wait for him to, you know, snail mail, and he'd get it, and then he'd say okay, and he'd wait for your check to clear, and then he'd pack up your snake and ship it to you. It's very <laughs> elongated. I, I, I was like prehistoric, like we were, we were, you know, I felt like we were, you know, starting fire by rubbing sticks together or something. It was crazy, but. But it worked, and and it had its positives and it has its negatives. Um, you know, back then you had to deal with a few different things that some of which we have to still kind of deal with today. The, the proverbial tire kickers that, you know, they're uh, maybe they they've got this Maserati taste, but they they couldn't afford the Pinto, but they they want to you know chisel you and see how low you'll go, but they're never really even going to buy anything. You had those. Then you had the photo yep. hunters, which were maybe the worst. If you were a seller and you got a photo hunter, he just wanted pictures, and you sent them out to him. You never, you never hear from him again. But he just wanted a stack of pictures, I think. Um, so a lot of times people would say, "No photo hunters, please," like in their in their advertisement. And um, and I remember having to pay for pictures. Say it again. Yeah, you I had remember to pay having to pay pictures. a dollar a picture. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. 
Absolutely, man. That that's Ryan said that. Yeah. 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 That's that, <laughs> very typical. Um, and that, yeah, of course, back then you you didn't have uh, nobody had cell phones, so so long distance was a, a, a cost to consider. And you couldn't jabber on the phone like everybody knows that Harlan does um, back then, or you'd, you'd be broke, you know. But you'd get these calls from people that I call them the the lonely long distance leech. They, they're not going to really buy anything from me, but they're a little lonely and they want somebody to talk to, and they like to talk snakes or whatever. But you're, you know, you gotta. So you had to kind of um, uh, keep things on point. Uh, and then there were still pitfalls. And I'll give you a great example. This must have been. Oh, this, you know, I always say when, when money is injected into any hobby, things get interesting. And, you know, back then, uh, like now, uh, the reptile trade was kind of the wild, wild west. And, and now it's still, because now we have, you know, uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all of these different social media complexes that, that uh, bring a whole new wrinkle in the fabric of the community. And so... Uh, you know, I was I was talking with someone earlier, and I said, you know, like the ball python craze. It was like the gold rush. It was really crazy. Uh, everybody wanted to jump in on things, and in a gold rush, you you know, you you get some gunslingers and some some swindlers, and then it brings out all kinds. You get wonderful people, and then you get that other element. They're they're looking for an opportunity, and. Uh, anybody can get bamboozled, but a friend of mine called me up and he 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 saw an advertisement I had placed in one of these periodicals. Honestly, I don't remember even which one it was at the at the time, but but I had I had advertised savu pythons. I believe savus were pulled uh, out for the first time around like '93, so this was probably like '94 or something to kind of give you a, a perspective time-wise. Uh, when it was, you know, we had, so I had these sabus advertised, and this dude calls me up and he goes, Harlan, you know, I bought a lot of stuff from you, and I, I really like dealing with you and everything. And he said, I'm interested in these these snakes that you have advertised, but but man, I just can't pull the trigger with you. And I was like, what's the deal? And he's like, there's a there's a guy who's advertising the same stuff like a few lines up above yours if you look in the ad, uh, in, in the in the classifieds, and he's got them so much cheaper. Like, why are yours so much more expensive? And I was, I was like, what? How could they? How could it be? So I, I flipped through and I looked at it and I was like, oh my gosh! And the price was astoundingly different, like glaringly different. And I said, you know, I, I, look, I'm going straight to the source. And the, the very first sabus that I got actually came from Tom Crutchfield. We used to we used to wait by the mailbox for that bright, crazy colored list with interesting descriptions. This. You know, like uh, uh, Tom Crutchfield is is the king when it comes to wording an advertisement. It was always something like, "This Nile crocodile is a perfect gift for your m- mother-in-law." Or, you know, it was it was, uh, it was colorful and it was interesting and it kept you kept you, uh, you know, yeah. It, it, he was he has his own flair. Um, you know, and anybody who dealt with him, you know, they they either uh, um, loved loved to praise him or they they loved to do the opposite. Um, you know, it was, it was, it's just a very interesting era in the whole, um, the whole scheme of things. But so this guy, I looked in the, in the ad and sure enough, I told him, man, I think, you know, I think that's kind of a scam. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going right to the well and getting these animals direct. Uh, uh, at the time, of course, it was Bushmaster, uh, Cameron brought the first Sabus in and, and I said, well, you know, um, I can't imagine that they're cheaper than that either. Either somebody's pulling the wool over your eyes and you're fixing to get bamboozled or, 
I, there's a, a, something has happened, and these animals are suddenly more available than we thought, and there's been a big change in the price. Either way, I need to know. If you, if you, if you follow through with this deal, would you just let me know how it turns out? And he's like, yeah. I said, look, I can't slight you for being curious about the price, but I'm telling you, man, that looks like a scam. So I didn't hear from him about, about two weeks. And then when I finally did hear back from him, like, like two weeks later, I finally called him and I said, hey, dude, did you get your snakes? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I got them. You know, I sent the guy the money. And he wanted me to send it Western Union. Mm. Uh, there was no PayPal back then. So, you know, it was either like a personal check or Western Union or something like this. So he, he said, I Western Union him, him the money. And uh, he even he gave me a tracking number, and and, uh, um, and he and he really did. He shipped, and I got it. And I he says those are the most expensive apples I've ever received. And the guy actually <laughs> sent him a box that had apples in it. And I, I you know I think the apples were kind of like he was kind of like flipping the dude the bird, like look, I got you, you know. And and he said you know the stupid part was the price was so good that instead of buying a pair, I I bought two pairs. And um, I said, oh, so you got some really expensive apples. He's like, yes, I did. And, um, you know, uh, we, still, we still see things. You, you hear stories ever so often. Like I say, when money gets involved, things get interesting. And uh, it's that way in any community, in any hobby. But, it, you know, we really see it in the reptile world, especially where there's fast growth. Uh, the, the early days, the ball python and, and the, the height of the kind of ball python world, we, we saw a lot of things that just would make people's heads spin. Um, and interestingly, uh, the green tree python market has grown exponentially since uh, the advent of, of uh, social media. Most of you know that I don't, I, I don't use a cell phone. Um, I'm old school on this laptop uh, thing. I, I, I'm, not, I'm on Twitter. I, I, I think Tracy Barker finally twisted my arm enough to get me on Facebook. And, um, you know, it's, it's really been helpful to, to my business. Uh, but, you know, I think there's an element that's lost. Uh, when you're dealing with people, so many people, they want to close a deal just through text. And I learned if you get somebody on the phone, uh, you can ask questions, very pointed questions. Uh, has this animal been treated? And then when they say yes, you say, oh, great, what was it treated with and at what frequency and dosage, please? And if, they, right. they, if they're trying to make up something on the spur of the moment, they haven't treated and it's all malarkey that they're, you know, uh, some people like to spin tails to make sales. And they should probably go work in a car lot. Maybe that's not even saying something nice about used car lots. But, but you know, you can kind of you can kind of sift through the BS if you're if you're on the phone with somebody. You have a much better your antennas are up that much more, and you can kind of catch the vibes if what they're saying. You know, if the first rattle out of the bag is, uh, yeah, I can help you out, uh, what's your credit card number? You know, you know right away this guy has one agenda or gal has one agenda on their mind, and um, it can give you pause. So, you know, I think sometimes I think picking up the phone and, and doing a, a deal the old-fashioned the old way uh, can be to your benefit. You know, it really um, allows you to kind of make better decisions. So Harlan, you you don't you don't have a cell phone. You don't you don't have a flip even a flip phone. Nothing. I don't even have a flip phone. You know, I I uh, <laughs> it's Colorado, buddy. We we send smoke signals, That's right? Awesome. It's legal here. <laughs> the last time we talked on the phone, we had cups and a string. You had what? Cups and a string. 
<laughs> I, I, I missed. I missed yeah. it. I couldn't. I couldn't even hear hear what it said. What he said. Something uh, in a know, string. Around the last time we talked on the phone, we must have had cups in a string. Yeah, yeah, it's cups in a string. That we, you know, I sometimes I twang yeah. a little tune on that string just because I'm musical that way. But yeah, you know. Um, so you know, I, I everybody says, oh, Harlan, you need to get yourself a smartphone. You need to get your, and uh, you know, uh, they're probably right. It's well past due, and I probably will. But I mean, even my buddy Bill Hughes said, Harlan, I got this. I got this uh, iPhone. I'll just send it to you. You find a plan. I'll just send it to you. Uh, what a sweetheart. He, Bill's a great guy. So. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, so, you know, historically, uh, they had similar problems and different problems when we were back in the day and, and compared to now. Um, I always like to say that, that uh, when it comes to uh, integrity or how we behave in, in this community, uh, most of the, the most important lessons that anyone could learn for any community, for life in general, those lessons were taught in third grade. And if you hadn't learned these lessons, like do unto others, you know, uh, treat someone else the way you want to be treated, if you hadn't learned those third grade lessons, um, it's going to affect you, and probably not in the most positive way, for the rest of your life. And, and sometimes when I'm doing business, I, I step back and I scratch my head, and I'm like, whew, somebody wasn't paying attention in third grade. You know, you can see it just just scrolling through Facebook uh, or like these board of inquiry sort of uh um you know uh, pages you can you can really see uh that some people just weren't uh you know they didn't have their thinking caps on when those lessons were being passed out you know um i, yeah, I like to think know, of it uh, like go ahead go ahead harlan uh i was going to say I, I like to think of it like uh um, you know, my mom, she says, uh, if you're tired of running in circles, she told me, then stop cutting corners. And, uh, right. you know, that, that is always, it just really rings true to me. And uh, I think of, like, integrity is not something that, uh, this isn't this, like a soapbox preachery uh, show. It's, this is a community topic that we all need to, as a community, discuss. And so, you know, um, I'm, I'm hoping that listeners will, uh, if there's a chance where they can call in, that they call in, or at least just message in and say, "This is here's a little pet peeve or something that rubs me the wrong way. This is a topic that our whole community should really have an open, frank discussion about. But, but when it comes to, like, integrity, it's not something that's, that uh, uh, you, you decide on um, at the moment of either uh, a fiasco or an opportunity. Uh, and by that, I mean, like, if you're in line at Mickey D's or whatever, and somebody reaches into their pocket to pay in front of you, and, and a 20 falls out, hits the ground, and the guy never even notices it, um, if you have to have a wrestling match with, your, uh, with yourself about whether or not you're going to pocket that 20 or you're going to give it back to the guy, you've already got problems because you, you have waited to gauge your threshold for integrity until the final moment. And you should have made these decisions long ago that when you see it hit the ground, you don't even think twice. You pick it up and you say, hey, buddy, 
you drop this, and, and he's like, oh, and his face lights up, and yours does too because you know you just made his day. You're not thinking, man, I just lost a 20. Meanwhile, maybe your friend behind you is like, man, I could punch you in the face. You about had a free 20 there. And that's when you better kind of, you know, re-gauge what your friend's integrity is too. You know what I mean? It's uh, Yeah, well, yo, Harlan, you guys have been in the Condor community a lot longer than I have, so I'll ask you both. Ryan, I'll ask you first. What, what, how do you think the community stands right now as far as, um, you know, its its ethics and the way people treat each other and the way um, people in the community treat uh, newcomers? What, what are your thoughts, how we stand? Um, It's been interesting, the shift from – mainly forums to Facebook, and uh, I would say that uh, it's a little more inclusive than maybe it used to be, Um, but you also have a rapid influx of new people, and the Internet offers lots of um, unedited information, so to speak, and people, mm-hmm. yep. um, you know, can gain their information very rapidly from lots of different sources, good and bad, and sometimes maybe form opinions on how to do things or uh, other individuals rapidly. And so it's an interesting, it's been an interesting change. Um, I've noticed a lot of the people I came up with, I know I no longer see doing anything um, with right, this right. species or even snakes in general. And I don't know if that's that they were older than me and they're just not doing it anymore, or or what caused them to get out. But uh, so it's been a it's been an interesting shift, and I'm I would say I noticed that a lot of people with a lot of stuff to offer can be drowned out by people that are new and maybe their enthusiasm gets in the way of, of possibly learning from people that have been around a long time. Uh, Facebook is yeah, kind of a, everything it's a sea of opinion now and, and the, I think some of the history, like who has been around and who has done what has gotten lost um, because Facebook is ever changing and doesn't really archive stuff such as the forums used to. Uh, so you could kind of, in the in the day of the forums, you could go back and you could get a sense for who the participants were based on their previous comments in, you know, heated debates or even just other posts. Uh, now somebody can say something on Facebook and, I mean, it's, it can either be gone in an hour or become the next big to do that everybody's arguing about, but a week later it's typically, you know, gone by the way of the dodo bird. (laughs) So it's it's just an interesting, it's, I don't know. I just find it fascinating as a guy who has been around for some time that, uh, I, I meet people all the time that just like don't have a clue who, you know, I mean, I meet people that don't know who Rico were or Trooper Walsh or, you know, David Tracy Barker. It's just, it's, it's, uh, so it's it's a different day than it was, and yeah. I guess it's it's yeah. got its good points, it's got its bad points. So it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, to me, it well, seems what, like it's. Uh, I'm sorry. 
Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, uh, Harlan, yeah, go run with it, man. What do you, what do you, what have you seen? Uh, I was gonna say, you know, it, it, uh, it, it seems like it's, it moves a lot faster at a faster rate, you know, obviously than than the old snail mail days and stuff like that. It, it happens uh, so quickly. Information is shared so quickly, and this is this is good, bad, or otherwise. It just depend, depends on how it's utilized, right? The, the, the tools, how they're how we utilize them, but. But you see a lot of there's a lot of this kind of a, a keyboard warrior kind of uh, um, mentality where where uh, they they read something somewhere and so that must it must be the word of God. I had I had one person told me that they said well they they, they kind of posed it to me as if. Uh, they had interviewed several different keepers and were trying to extract how how well this guy knew his stuff or not, like almost like a job interview. But he, the guy was asking for information, and, and he goes, well, I've asked this to a lot of other people, and I'm going to ask you too now. He says, you know, on what day do your eggs hatch? Do they, do they pip? Uh, do green tree python eggs hatch? And I said, oh, you know, it can go from like 49 to 64. And he's like, Wrong! It's 52, and I'm like, because I read it in the in the Bible, in the Bible, in, in Maxwell's Bible, and I and I kind of chuckled and I said, let me ask you a question. Did your snake read that book? And and you know the the point was, and when I said it, he's kind of like, huh? And I'm like, look, you know, nature has this variability in it, and it's nothing's hard line, set fast rules. Uh, you know, it it makes sure that. A portion of the population has enough variation that that some of it survives even in a rough year or an extra wet year, whatever the case may be. There's just variation, and then that's nature. And I said, you can't just because somebody wrote it in a book doesn't make it. Uh, you know, there's no hard fast rules. It's there's variability. But you know, I noticed this on on uh, on Facebook. It's easy to throw out a comment, and sometimes uh, like like. Uh, it's all everything has it comes are all zeros back to communication um it's easy to call someone a name when you disagree with them and then uh, passions flare and, and usually if you stick with these threads long enough pretty soon they kind of mellow out and by the end people are talking cordially again um but facebook just like uh just like ryan said it's uh it's it's kind of like uh, it's t- kind of like toilet paper. It's getting flushed all the time. We we're, we're, we don't have an archive of of the information that is. We we don't really want to archive toilet paper. But but um, you get my point. It, it's it's just it's kind of flushed through the system. And um, the nice thing about you know the old forums was that you could look something up. Uh, even then even then I noticed uh, during the era when when uh, uh, forum pages uh, were were a big deal. You'd have some some new person would come come on and ask a question, and then people would jump on him and say, "Why don't you use the search function?" And I'm like, ah, I was just asking a question, you know. Um, so yeah. it's all about how we communicate with one another. Uh, you know, I I think about like I, I think how you're, we represent. I think. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say so, I think you're right, Harlan. It seems like so many people are getting their um, information, and when they want to expand their knowledge, they go to Facebook. And they read um, some people's posts on Facebook that, like you guys have brought up, you know, they seem like they're they're Condro uh, experienced giants, but in reality they're not. You know, the difference on the forums were, you know, you could go back and you could look at at posts from months and years back. Facebook, it's gone in the blink of an eye. Yeah, you know, your history is totally wiped out, and you so you can't. Oh, hmm? Go ahead. Go ahead, Ryan. 
you find with Facebook that it kind of discourages um, participation with some of the um, more experienced keepers, I guess? I, I think sometimes I think so they like to sit yeah. back. Yeah. 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 I think or they I've get tired of it. A lot of people that have good stuff to say, it seems like they don't because, for one, nobody even knows who they are necessarily because they haven't been around very long. And what's the point of getting on there and having somebody say, you know, who are you, what do you know kind of stuff? It's <laughs> right. Uh, it's, it's, I've noticed that there's – I've seen some people, you know, post stuff, and then I've, I've seen some other older guys that have been around, and I'm like, huh, seems like all the all the guys that could maybe, you know, help out in this conversation are choosing to uh, stay out. So, I don't know. You know it's so, nice – it's nice when they will uh, – when someone will – sometimes it can be nice. Other times you're just like, oh, no, what? Um, but they, they tag your name in something and they ask your opinion. And it's really nice because it gives you a chance to say, well, here's my thoughts on it. But um, so, sometimes it's like they've beat the, – the, the horse has been dead for a while and they're still beating it. And you're just like, I, I don't even want to dip my feet in that cesspool over there. I'll just steer clear. So I completely understand that. Um, you know, when I have someone that's that's kind of a little bit fresher to the to the community or whatever, I, I tell them, look, uh, don't take it all from one person. Look, be a lurker and, and watch what's going on. And, and those that you feel like uh, when you ask a question, you know, who's a good person to to share information about whatever, green tree pythons. And then you, people will start throwing up a lot of names, and they're really great names. And I say, you know, watch those, the people's names that they've, they've put up and see which of those you think are the ones that you would like to contact. And then contact them individually and ask them your question. And, uh, and, and it's, there's not one set, this is the only right way. There's a lot of different right ways to do something, and I think you learn a lot more when you're, when you're taking advice from a lot of different good people rather than saying, well, it's only so-and-so's way, because you're kind of, you're kind of uh, trimming, you're hedging out your, your potential to, uh, to learn something new, new or see a different perspective. And uh, there's a lot of, we all know there's a lot of wrong ways to do things, but there's, there's also a, a lot of right ways to do things, and they're, they're not all the same. What about the amount of Facebook pages? It's, it's overwhelming how many green Python orientated. I don't even know which ones to participate in. I'm in most you know, of them, but I don't. I, don't I, never, I hardly ever share pictures to any of them because I don't know which ones maybe have better people in them. So I, I kind of don't even – I don't know which ones I'm to gonna, play in. I'm going to bring up my, my, my friend uh, Ian Bissell here. Um, you know, he's he is like a, a – uh, a marketing guru. Uh, he really, he really uses Facebook to its fullest potential and all these different social mediums, and and I love it. Um, but you know, the problem with having so many uh, arboreal uh, aficionado kind of uh, Facebook pages, we become. Um, uh, uh, we become members of all these groups. And then if you wanted to advertise in all of these different groups, then, you know, when you're scrolling through and you like, you see the same advertisement umpteen times, and you're like, oh, my gosh. But I, I can't slight him. He's, he, he's using this, and some people, maybe it rubs him the wrong way or whatever, but, but he's using this in the smartest fashion that you could possibly use it in. He's using it for what it's designed for, is for networking, uh, it's not his fault that I happen to be members of, you know, 27 Green Tree Python 
uh, pages, and so I'm seeing all of it. But when the cool part about him is that he he's he's listening to his his customer base, and when he sees that, look, my the Marista, the the the, the, the uh, algorithm or whatever the, the measurement of my my gained subscribers or my gained viewership is is going way up when he's looking at at these statistics on on Facebook, and, but then he gets a report a hard report from someone that he really knows that ah, that kind of rubs me the wrong way and all I see are these he he's like you know what he's paying attention to those guys too and he kind of cuts things back and he says I'll advertise a, a few of it in in these pages and I'll wait a couple of days and I'll advertise a few of it in those pages so it doesn't it's not drowning you out anymore and it's this is again it comes right back to uh communication and how we're communicating with one another uh and so you know it's very interesting that you brought up how many pages there are cuz it seems like there's Goo gobs of them, and, and some people are like, how come you never paste, post in my my page? And I'm like, you know how many there are? I, I hardly post any. I post it on my my Facebook page, and I'm about done. I'm almost the opposite of you, and I should probably post more. But but anyway, um, I had about to, I had to all, throw that the, example out there. How about all the groups you get added to? And all you know, you, you have no idea uh, how you got added to the group. All of a sudden, people just added you. To <laughs> that drives me crazy. Oh yeah, that happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's as, that's as pervasive as as these these uh, things that you get the friend requests from, um, you know, uh, some some hot supermodel that some you know what I mean. Lady. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it was really. I and thought, she's dressed real scantily, and then, yeah. yeah, I'm like, yeah, I don't know you. I don't think so. You know. I, I thought all. What do they say? Not today, that. ISIS. I was like, guys, get those. I was like. Have I searched for something that's causing me to get this? And then I found out everybody gets it. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. So, anyway, you know, when we talk about communication with one another, a lot of times uh, things that seem to cause uh, a burr under under the saddles of others uh, leads back to representation. How we represent what what it is that we're offering, and um, you know. Uh, of course, we've all talked about this. Is it captive bred? Is it farmed? Is it uh, captive hatched? And they've got all these delineated, sort of delineated and, and segregated into these different groups and whatever. But you know, the bottom line is most sellers know what it is that they're receiving. They have a pretty good inkling whether this is really captive bred or most likely wild caught. And my, in my opinion, you never go wrong. Uh, representing the animal accurately. I, I recently got a, a snake uh, sent to me uh, by a well-known guy in our community, a really good guy, and uh, he said, hey, this animal has had a prolapse, and here's the history of the animal, and, and he laid it all out on the table, and he sent, we, we still agreed to purchase the animal because, because he laid all the cards on the table. We're big boys. We can make up our mind. Is this something we want to do? And we're going in educated with all the facts so we can make a sound decision. But what's terrible is when somebody says, they ship it to you and you get to discover, ah, look, it's got a kink in its tail, an incredible kink. How could you miss that? And you call the guy up and he goes, it does? I had no idea. You know, I mean, really. (laughs) It's, it's all about representation. There's no, there's no problem with saying, I believe this to be a wild-caught animal, but here's what I have treated it with, and here's what I've done, how long I've had the animal. Um, you know, uh, 
a great point that I, I talk with Ian a lot, and, and one point that he brought up is, you know, when you when you put your photos up, it doesn't hurt to have a timestamp on them. We've all received a, uh, you know, the old the old trick where somebody sends you pictures of an animal, or they post pictures of this animal. It's unbelievable. It looks really great, and it's in the middle of its its ontogenic color change, and so it looks pretty fantastic. Yeah. And, and yeah. but they're old photos, and then when you receive the animal, you got this green snake on a branch. You're like. This is the same snake, and they're like, "Yeah, well, those were just old photos. Why didn't you tell me that?" You know, so so yeah. you have got time stamped, uh, uh, date date stamped at least photographs when you're when you're putting your advertisement up. It really shows this is when the photo was taken, and and you know what it looked like at this point. Um, on the flip side, you know, this goes it, the traffic goes both ways. For for the buyer, they shouldn't be saying, you know, the old, uh, "I need a picture from every angle." Uh, in the last 10 minutes and, and a picture of its last defecation. I mean, you know how it just gets un, unreal, some of these people. Uh, yeah. Be a reasonable customer, and, and if you're a seller, it, be a reasonable right? seller. You know. What's that, Ryan? Yeah, most, like? most of those people never end up buying anything. Yeah. I find yeah, the more they, questions right. they ask, the least likely they are to buy <laughs> Absolutely, you're absolutely right. Usually, that's the case. You know, and uh, look, everybody, everybody, they love to talk snakes. But I, my advice to people that are looking to get something is, is um, go, go with, go with your your gun loaded. Like, uh, you, you don't step into the into the Porsche uh, dealership and say, man, I'd really like to buy this Porsche. Uh, you, but min- meanwhile, I'm flipping burgers at Wendy's. Um, uh, but I, you know, can I take a ride in this one and in that one and that one? You know what I mean? It's just, uh, you know, you, you are wasting someone's time when you have no intention of making a purchase. Um, so, so be conscientious of other people's time. And uh, when you're ready to buy something, that's when you call them and say, "I'm hoping you can help me out. Here's what I'm looking for." Uh, you know, these are just like little little things, but. Uh, all of these little things they add up, you know. Um, oh, yeah, another. It's, it's a, a two-way one. street. It is. It yeah, is. Go. And it, this is the thing. It's uh, it's communication between two people, and it doesn't matter which. Today you might be the buyer, and tomorrow you might be the seller. So you really have to learn both ends of the equation. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. You know, Harlan, Mike, um, oh. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah. So you know, I've I've seen this time and time again where somebody somebody sells a snake and then the the customer complains this came, thing came and it was covered in mites and then they then the next question out of the the dealer's mouth or the next answer out of the dealer's mouth is, well look you got it for such a price uh, when you buy something at wholesale prices what what would you expect. Uh, come on, everybody knows how to deal with mites. It's part of the reptile industry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I totally disagree with that. You don't get a get-out-of-jail-free <laughs> card based on the price that you sell an animal at. And I don't care if you're a wholesaler or an importer or an exporter. You are, your animals, the, way, the condition that you send them in and the way that you represent them is a direct reflection of, of your integrity. You know, just because you know how to treat mites doesn't mean yeah. it's okay for you to receive them. You know, that's a big deal, that's a right. major vector of potentially devastating diseases, viruses, and who knows what. And 
you know, some of these things, we don't know exactly how they may be transmitted, but when you got a mic, you've, you've just made it mobile. And uh, so it's a very serious matter. And, and uh, you know, when you're sending something out, if you notice a problem, uh, call the guy first. Don't say, eh, we'll see if he notices this. or You know what I mean? Just, just call him and say, hey, look, you know, I, I've gone through with everything, but I, right before I got ready to send it, I saw this problem, and I'd like to address this. Can we can we postpone sending it until this is is taken care of? Just be upfront and say. And another thing is, I don't know. Those are magic words. There's nothing wrong with saying, "Gee, I, I don't know." Instead of just pulling out a a, a canned answer, you know. Well, so. You know, Harlan, you're uh, you're one of the most elite, you know, visual exports orders of uh, green tree pythons right now, certainly at least in the United States. And you've talked about a lot of things, you know, how to do things wrong. What's the right way to bring animals into the United States and then present them to customers, you know, particularly first-time chondro uh, keepers? What, you know, what's the right way to do it? I think most often you can find an importer. It's much easier rather than trying to import something yourself. I think it's usually it's much easier to just find an importer um, that you feel comfortable dealing with. Uh, you know, you can ask around who's who's a good dealer to deal with, and uh, and whoever you select when you get the animals in and ask questions. Do you think this is a a wild caught or or a, or a, a captive bred animal? Ask questions. Um, you know, the thing is, no importer in the United States is saying, is calling up Indonesia and saying, please send me your wild-caught snakes. It, it doesn't happen like that. It's against the law to send wild-caught snakes, um, green tree pythons, uh, to the United States, okay? But, but what happens is when they right. place an order, right. they mix things they mix things in a little, and they, the, the Indonesians will say, well, you know, I'll send this and this that's captive bred, and I'll include these things that, eh, you know, they might pass as captive bread, whatever. But the seller who's worth their salt can tell the difference. And, um, you know, when I get animals in, uh, it, it, for me, I put them through a, a minimum, you know, 90-day uh, observation or, or quarantine period. You really need to have a room that's separate from everything else you're doing uh, reptile-wise. You need to have a room if you're bringing in animals um, from any source. I don't care. I always say if God sent it to me yesterday, it's in quarantine today. And it's just a smart, uh, a smart sort of protocol to, to adopt and, and be hard, fast, and, and set on this. Make your rules and then follow your rules. Like when we were talking about your decisions about your integrity, you should have those in place before you're ever presented with something. It's the same way with this. You, you make rules for yourself to begin with, and then f- stick to your rules. For me, I, I do a 90-day observation period. And I, while I'm treating those animals with, with the right, uh, whether it be antibiotics for the, an animal with an infection and uh, have a great connection with a, a vet that you can take them into and have, have things cultured so you're not just guessing on your medications, um, whether you're tre- treating it with antiparasitic drugs or whatever, once you've got it where you feel like it's cleared out, now you've got some, some background on that animal before you've even considered advertising it. Uh, you've got some background on that animal, and you can say, uh, um, you know, here's how long I've had it, here's what it's been treated with. You can go through these things. And, you know, everybody's capable of, of uh, hiccups. I, I, had, I had one, I had a, a shipment that was stolen. 
And you, some of you may remember this. I posted it on my Facebook page. I had a shipment, uh, an import shipment that was stolen. And, um, and so it was very public that I – normally you don't see me with a post that says, I've just imported this shipment, and here's what it is, and it's a free-for-all. Come and get it. It's not like that at all. Mostly you never see me post any of that stuff. It's all done kind of behind closed doors, and it's, it's very quiet um, sort of operation. But this b- being stolen, it, it got public very quickly. And um, so I had a lot of people that wanted to buy these animals. They wanted to, to have the best of the best and be there first. And uh, um, I, I broke my rules, and I paid for it dearly. And I'm still paying for it dearly. It's, when you, when you uh, so, so I said, hey, well, I'll, I'll sell this animal to you, but let me acclimate it for you first. Anything can happen during that acclimation point. And, um, you know, normally it's, it's much smoother, I can tell you for sure, you, you should always do your work first before anybody knows it's available. And then, uh, um, you know, I made a bad decision, and I did it this, this way instead of the, the way that I would normally do it. And I paid for that. You know, it's, uh, um, yeah, yeah. I, my, I'll still pay for that. You know, it's, I still have animals from that shipment that, that aren't quite right. And I, I, for me, my, uh, the reputation that you, you've worked forever on, can uh, be shattered in a moment by being dishonest. And if you have an issue or a problem, you call the customer and you say, hey, this is what I'm running into. Uh, you know, I do a lot of breeding loans. When I run into a hiccup with an animal, I'm on the phone with them right away. And sometimes prematurely, I'll say, I, I think this animal may have sniffled. I wanted to let you know what's going on. And they're like, oh, God, you know, I've got him sweating bullets. I'm like, I'm not trying to worry you, but I'm just, I'm just communicating what yeah. I'm seeing. Two days later, I call him and go, hey, it's shed. It was no big deal. Sorry for the far- false alarm. But it's better to be proactive than to sit back. And then when they call you up, and they're, how's my such and such doing? You're like, oh, it died two months ago. Sorry. Forgot to tell you. You know, yeah. um, that probably doesn't yep. go over yep. very well. No, but yeah, you know, yeah, I, I, can... I try to acclimate them and quarantine them. That 90-day period is, you know, it's, 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 look, 90 days doesn't mean you're doing it right. If you see a hiccup or a problem in there, it, it probably extends your, your 90-day plan. Um, from the time you think it's healthy, that's where, you're, where it appears outwardly healthy. That's where your observation begins and the 90 days begins. And then once it's, once it's cleared, it means you haven't seen any problems from it before you either introduce it to your, to your general population uh, of your animals. I, something I see often on Facebook, we, we love attention. We, like, we, like, we get something cool, we get something new, we want to show it off. And I see this thing where these people will get an animal in and they'll do an unboxing video, and they're unboxing Pandora's box in the middle of their snake room. And this, uh, to me, it's like, oh, my goodness. You know, and they're like, oh, but it got me so much attention. I'm like, okay, you know, and one, a friend of mine, he's a really good guy, brought this to me. He says, you wouldn't believe the attention I got from that video. I said, but, but wait a minute, it's not always good attention. And, um, you know, this show isn't about bashing anyone, and it's not about pointing fingers at anyone. This is why we're not using any names. We're just using examples. And so, um, you know, if you've done this, it's, I'm, not, I'm not throwing stones in your direction. I'm just saying it's a learning process, and we learn from those around us. And if you open up that box, you have no idea what you've opened up in your, in your collection with, with everything else. And so, you know, have a quarantine room. It's, it's worthwhile to just unbox the things away from everything else, uh, kind of take an assessment of what you're dealing with, triage the animals out, and, and uh, you know, 
give treatments to the things that need treatment and observe them for the full 90 days. Uh, people always, they get something in and they're like, I can't wait to breathe this. And they put them together right away. And it can work for you fine without any problems at all. And you'll hatch out a clutch. And all you have done is fostered confidence in a system that will soon lead you to failure. If you, if, you, if you continue to go down this path where, hey, it worked for me this time, but you know you're kind of rolling the dice, sooner or later you, you play with fire, what happens? You know, yep. Well, Harlan, you talked a little bit about, okay, bringing the animals in and quarantining them, making sure that they're solid before you release them. What about how you represent an animal? To somebody, you know, I think that's something that's important. And I, you touched a little bit about, well, maybe, you know, I can tell that it, it may not be farm bred. What about the locality stuff, or you know, ah, boy, that's stuff really, that, yeah, you know, it's it's. What's interesting about localities is sometimes you receive something that may be labeled one way, and you know it's not what it's labeled as when you get it. And it's, uh, this is where it's okay to say it came in as this, but I'm not sure yeah. that's what it really is. It's okay to say I don't know because you're allowing the customer to then make an informed decision. Uh, do I want to roll the dice with this or not? And sometimes with green trees, with locality stuff, uh, the, uh, the hard, fast rule for me is that you can often tell what something's not easier than you can tell what something is. For example, if somebody sends you an animal that is labeled as, uh, well, in America, um, uh, so the animals from the Vogelkop area, that's kind of the bird's head. If you look at Indonesia, um, uh, West Papua's kind of kind of looks like a bird's head on on the on the west end there. So anyway, they call that the Vogelkop, the bird's head. So if you if you look at some of these animals up there, some of them look so similar. Like a Nibiri may look very similar to a Sarong. Um, uh, a Manakwari might look somewhat like uh, what in America we call a fac fac. It, it's nice that we call it fac fac because um, it's actually pronounced. Uh, <clears throat> fuck fuck which uh you know whatever but um yeah so so you know some of these might be very difficult to differentiate one from the other and if it comes labeled as something you kind of should stick to whatever it's labeled as but you see it all the time where somebody posts a picture of some animal and they say do you have any idea what locality this is if you're asking that question your answer you know unless it's very obvious that it's an ro very obvious that it's a bioc something like that um, your answer is that you'll never really know, but you'll have an idea of what it's probably not, right? Um, right. When you see a Bioc, you know that it's not an Aru. You can see the differences in some things, and you, you know what some things are, uh, but for the most part, it's easier to tell what something is not than, than hardline what it certainly is. Sometimes, if you've been doing it for a long time, sometimes you can really decipher, you can really look at it and say, it's got this, it's got this, and it's got that. And for, for instance, there was recently um, a, a situation where I saw a snake being advertised as a cyclops when I knew, uh, bottom of the line, that's absolutely not a cyclops, it's a manakwari. And the seller... Uh, was caught red-handed uh, selling it as something that it wasn't. 
um, at knowingly selling it, knowingly misrepresenting the animal. For what reason, I don't know. But what was funny is that uh, a gentleman who works for the importer said, he's right, and I know it to be a fact because I packed that animal up and I wrote Manaquari on top of the box. It is that animal is certainly a Manaquari. You know, so, so uh, you know, an advertisement is an advertisement, but... Um, but you, you should you should always do your homework first, and and um, you know this person who bought the snake is very happy with the snake, and I and I told her, hey, you know, that's a beautiful animal, that's the best looking one that came in, even if it's not a cyclops, you still got what I thought was the best one on that shipment. I think you did great, and she's very happy with it, and that, and it's all you know water under the bridge. But it, when you see this sort of behavior, we as a community. We, we always talk about how we're culturing up the next most beautiful green tree pythons with coolest patterns and colors and all this stuff. But more importantly, we're, we're culturing up the next generation of keepers. And that next generation right. of keepers, man, you know, think about it. I want something that I would feel honored, like an heirloom uh, piece of jewelry or, or whatever, to pass on to my, to my children, uh, an heirloom gun. I, I don't want to pass it on to them pitted with rust and, and uh, you know, gouges out of the woodwork. I want to, I want to pass something on to them that's, that's beautiful so that it, they inherit something that they can continue to see progress from. And, that's our responsibility. It's, it's far bigger than any, any animal we hatch out is what are we passing on to the next generation? Because really, if you think about it, um, everyone that's involved today, if they're not already the next old farts, you know, if they're not already old farts, they're, gonna, they're the next generation of old farts. And we, we old farts have to, uh, we have to keep the heirlooms clean and shiny and, and well cared for. That's our community. So it's, you know, we have to figure out you know, a way. If we don't police ourselves, someone else is going to step in and do it. Yeah, we were given a good thing. You're right there. I mean, we, the founders, the Condra founders, they gave us all a good thing and a good start. And I think you're right. It's it's our responsibility to to preserve it the best we can. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. I mean, God, with the no. you know, the size of the community growing it's and really growing social fast. media stuff. Yeah. 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 You know, it, it hey, Ryan, also. I think. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to ask Ryan if he if Ryan has had any um, experience. Have you imported any animals ever, Ryan? Um, from Indo directly. Yeah. No, no. I've been part of um, a few European orders and stuff, but I never did the importing directly myself. Gotcha. I think for the for the most part the the community is uh, especially in the green tree python community I think it's it's one of the cleaner uh um there's there's a lot less uh horseplay I would say or or shenanigans that are running along in in the green tree python world a, a lot of the guys where you see the problems where you see uh, false advertising and stuff like that these are guys that are kind of on the periphery they're kind of passing through or they're they're not really a member they're not really a keeper they're just they just want to sell some of their wares they're they're a flipper or, or whatever you want to call it I, some of these guys are so fast at what they do i don't even call them flippers i call them flingers you know they, <laughs> they almost fling the snakes at you but but um you know uh uh, I, you know, they always say you get what you pay for. Um, 
But you know, it's yep. it's more than that. Like, uh, if you if you deal with the person who will take the time with you before the sale, that's probably also the person who will take the time with you after the sale. Right. You know, they, they put they put your success. Uh, it, it's really on their radar, and they really genuinely want to see you successful. And this this comes right back to this this topic of. Um, of competition. I think competition is a very interesting thing. It keeps us on our toes, right? But I, I honestly don't really believe in competition for the most part. To me, I'll, I'll use you as an example, Bill. So let's say that Bill happens to hatch out some babies from this incredible blue cyclops that he may or may not have. I think he does. Oh, um, uh, he, he hatches <laughs> them out. Oh, yeah. And uh, boy, I hope you do. Um, and uh, should I feel like, oh, my gosh, that, that Bill Stiegel, he's going to take the lion's share of all the dollars floating around, in the, and I'm missing out on those potential sales that he's garnering, he's getting all of the uh, – uh, cleaning the pockets of everyone. No way. Instead, I say <laughs> this, this hobby is like uh, a washer machine, and the money is going around in circles. I've never met one keeper who has – a serious keeper that has only three snakes. You always hear the thing, uh, after this snake, I'm going to have a closed collection. I say, yeah, until the next one. You know, I mean, uh, so if yep. Bill hatches out these incredible snakes and he sells them to all these potential customers, maybe even a deal I have lined up with someone, they decide to buy his instead of mine. I don't feel slighted. I'm like, oh, you know, he's a good guy to deal with. And, and you're getting a spectacular animal, kudos to you. And I don't, it really doesn't bother me because, for one thing, I know that Bill's going to earn something from it. If I hatch something out, he might be a customer who has money in the till that he wants to reinvest things in, and he might come to me and say, hey, hey Harlan, I want to I buy something from you. Or somebody else who bought one of his animals might see something that I later hatch out and say, would you like to do a trade? I'll send you this one. And then I, I get the, the genetics that Bill has and I, and I make a deal with somebody else. It, it's just, it's all floating around out there. And, um, yeah. and you'll, you'll see that it, it goes from one person to the next, to the next, it comes back around. Tracy Barker said something to me that reverberates to me uh, with me every day. She said, if you worry about what everybody else does, you're wasting your own effort. If you put your time and energy into your projects, doing the things the best you can, you'll be so much better off than, than worrying about whatever, the reindeer games. You know, concentrate on what you have to do. And it just really rings true. Like, people get caught up in all the drama and and worry about what someone else prices their animal or at or whatever the case may be. Uh, they're just they're just spinning their wheels and wasting their time. Uh, I really don't believe in, in uh, competition. I, I just I don't. You know I think uh, it, it all comes around. If you just pay attention, keep your hands on your eyes on your cards, you'll be you'll play a better game. Yeah. No, I I couldn't agree with you more. And Ryan, yeah, that's especially I'm, true I'm, in the memorial community. I mean, yeah. the animals. Really yeah. Uh, well, they they they're not all created equal, so to speak. So you, if you have a solid animal that looks real good, you know, you you're free to do whatever you want to do price wise, versus if somebody yep. has something else of lesser you know, quality. When you're, 
when you sell you an animal one, too. That's one thing Tracy always used to tell me too was, you, if you only have one of these things, why are you in a hurry? <laughs> yeah, you only get a sale yeah. at once. That's it. That's it. Yeah. You know, when you sell an animal, it's not only the animal that you're selling. It's your, it's your sweat equity. So I always ask people, yeah. hey, why would you sell that animal that cheap? And they're like, what do you mean? I, I'm trying to stay competitive. I said, hey, don't worry about any of the rest of that. You've got your time and effort. You've got your blood, sweat, and tears in this animal. Remember uh, the, the clutch where you only had two babies hatch out and one crawled out of the egg and died? Or... or um, Hey, that single oviduct animal story that you told at the beginning, incredible. That's awesome. But, but the next clutch, uh, should, you should take that into consideration when you're selling your next clutches. You know what? I put the time and energy into these. These have a value to me. Whatever the value is to you, it, um, that's the price you put on it. And if somebody else sees that and says, wow, uh, I like it, they'll pay the price. And if they're, if they're going to chisel you like crazy, Hey, that's not your customer. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, man. You know, I like to hear that. I like to hear I'm not afraid words. to hold on to them uh, and and keep yeah. them as a breeder. I, I can I can hoard stuff like the next guy. <laughs> well, man, I hate selling them. <laughs> Me too. Me too. It's like it's like my baby. That this brings us to another point. Um, another little thing. If you guys, if if people out there think of something that really uh, rubs them the wrong way. Uh, you know, send in a message and, and short, sweet, just say, oh, I hate it when this happens. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll get to that. But, but uh, something that I, that I see uh, is when you sell a snake and you ship it out to somebody, anybody who's never shipped before doesn't know the stress. When you ship your first time, the first time you've ever shipped, if you can think back to those dark ages, Ryan or, 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 or uh, Bill, it's, yeah, it's nerve-wracking. You're, you're, you want... You want to make sure it's packed well. And what kills me is when you send it to somebody and they never give you a call and say, it arrived safely, um, I'm going to get it set up. You know, like for me, I give a seven-day guarantee. And so it allows the customer a chance to say, I got it, it's safe and sound, and I'm going to keep an eye on it for the next seven days. And, and so that gives them – just because you call back and say, it's here, it's safe and sound, doesn't mean that, that I'm off the hook. It means that – that I can breathe easy, though, that I know the animal is in their hands and it's not, you know, I know that it's safe and sound, that it's there. Now the observation period can begin. So just give, give the person, the con- be conscientious enough to give the seller a call and say, hey, I got the animal, it's, it's safe and sound, because they care about that critter that they just sent your way. Just, just like you were ringing them off the hook and messaging them ten times, when's it going to get shipped? What's the tracking number? You wanted all that information before the sale? Well, after it's shipped, the seller is also interested to know where their animal is and that you're, you're happy with it. You know? And it doesn't mean that they're off the hook guarantee-wise. It just means that it's just a courtesy call. So let them know. Right, right. Well, that's the other thing you know, um, that we've kind of touched on or you know, we've already touched about. The proper way, you know, I guess I'm talking about this. This applies to all animals that that leave your hands or or anybody that's responsible's hands. The aftercare then becomes important, especially to a, a new keeper of green trees. You know, you've got to be there to to provide that support, answer those questions, because um, you're probably going to get a lot I, of them if it's their first or second absolutely. green tree. You know, and and yeah. that's why that. 
That's why the time before the money actually changes hands is just as important as afterward because now as a seller, I want to make sure that the customer has a cage set up that, that this snake, it's going to be conducive to, to the success that they're going to have with my snake. So I say, here's how I've had it set up. I've got it set up. Here's how I would suggest you set it up. And then they say, well, what if I do this? And you're like, I don't think that's the way I would go. Steer them right in the back, back in the right direction. Um, you know, uh, make sure that they're set up before they even pay for the get before they've paid for the animal. You know, yeah. get them set up so that they're going to do well when they receive it, and then be there. Like, I don't care. My seven day guarantee has ended. I say, uh, if if I have to take Viagra just to stand up, I'm so old that I'm on a ventilator and I have to pull it out of my mouth to answer your question. If you call me. And you ask me the questions, I'm there to support you with the animal that you got from me. And oftentimes it's not even the animal they got from me. They got, call me up and I'm, I'm trying to help them out. And that's what unifies our whole community. And, and if you think of that, that unity and community together, you're going to do great. You know, um, Ryan, you've been doing this for, for forever, and, um, and you've had really great success with breeding so many different – a diversity of species – how would you compare the green tree python um, sector to some of the other sectors in the hobby? Um, that's an interesting question. They, uh, I definitely think that um, you can have really good customers and really bad customers, um, probably even more to an extreme than in other, other groups. Uh, you know, I breed a lot of ball pythons. I know that's taboo, but they uh, not for me. It's I, not, no, I like not it. for me. It's not, but not for me either. I like it. A lot of people that you're selling ball pythons to have a big ball python collection, so they're um, typically they're you know well versed on what to do already. Um, the chondro people, I would say, most of the chondros I've sold, a lot of the times it's you know somebody's first or second green python and and so it it definitely it takes a little more um effort like Harlan has mentioned to make sure they're uh set up to do it and then the other thing i find is i've i've turned down a few sales because uh people call me and they want something and i'll be like okay well how are you planning on doing this and then i'm just like you know i don't feel comfortable sending that snake to that situation um and it's uh, probably for the best in those cases. Um, and then other times I have people argue with me uh, or they back out of a deal because they think I do things weird. And so they'll be like, oh, I, you know, I don't want to buy yours because you – that doesn't sound like a good way to keep them. So it's like, oh, okay, well, that's fine. <laughs> it's an interesting you – know, uh, I, I think green pies and people tend to be more opinionated on – certain aspects of the of keeping them you know there's guys that are diehard you know live plants in the cage big huge cage with lots of you know uv light which is all good i'm not not knocking any of that but when they find out you keep them you know simple stupid so to speak it uh it can <laughs> they they start thinking that you know you don't know anything and they know more than you and it's just that's why I just, you know, you just kind of go with it, and it's fine, and everybody's entitled to their opinion. So it's an interesting, it's yeah. an interesting facet of the hobby, 
is selling. I always say everybody can breed snakes, but not everybody can sell snakes. It's a uh, two different. Right. To be a good I, snake, I will, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah. You know, I will say it's there's a different more skills. Uh, I was just going to say, I will say there's more, it seems like there's more husbandry issues or differences or, you know, disagreements in the condor community than I can think in any other of the reptile communities. I mean, most, like Maybe Brian and I probably are, are not going to What's that? Maybe the emerald people might be a tad worse, I guess. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> but you're just not going to get a bunch of ball python guys that are going to have, you know, heated arguments about, you know, humidity or having a natural ball python set up versus a clean one. I mean, it just, it just it doesn't happen. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's just right. kind of funny. Yeah, I can't get over how many people contact me and they're like, oh, I would really like to get a green python, but they're so hard. And I'm just like, man, <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, I think they're like one of the easiest. It's like just keeping them alive. I agree. And, it's fairly straightforward. It's if you follow a few pretty basic things, they're they're generally very easy to to yeah. keep happy. I know. I think if anything, we kill them with kindness. We tinker too much, and that causes the issue yep. more than anything yep. they're doing with us. You know, so it's, Bill, it's, Bill Hughes and I, when we're talking about emeralds, we always we always talk about. Uh, innocent ignore or benign neglect sometimes these animals do better with this kind of uh almost like uh, set it and forget it sort of a um uh a, a system of caring for them it, too much hands-on I, I had a friend that got into emeralds um and i see this in green trees too where they would just want to handle the heck out of the animal and i say you know what um Oh, but he likes it. And I said, you know what? I've interviewed these things like crazy, and they never answer me. And, um, <laughs> you know, it, we, we can we can anthropomorphize all we want, but we really don't know uh, what's making them happy or not. And sometimes I think overhandling, of, of course, overly, overhandling leads to stress, but that goes back to when you're talking about these, these bioactive, naturalistic designs of uh, versus a, a sterile sort of a stirlite uh, plastic um, keep it simple stupid setup, uh, and, and I hear from from one side or the other, well they have a better quality of life this way than that way, and I'm like, oh, in which interview did did they say that? You know, um, you know you can see success in both in both methods, but you know I I prefer to do the the simple method. I think you've you introduce them to less. Uh, potential risks, but that—that's my opinion. Everybody's going to do things their their way, um, you know. But as an example, I had a friend who had one of these uh, cages set up, and um, I said, "Oh man, I don't put all that stuff in there. I just think all everything that you put in that's not absolutely necessary can p- pose a potential risk." And this snake was trying to shed, and it's just pr- pushing its rostrum against the uh, a piece of. Uh, sandblasted grape wood, really fancy-looking cage, and he's, he's pressing his nose against it hard uh, to try to get that shed broke loose from the nose, slipped off and caught a knot, uh, a little a little pokey on that thing, right in the eye and poked its eye out. And he's like, oh, it's yeah. killing me, you know, this is a perfect snake, and I messed it up, and you told me. And I said, hey, 
you know, it's uh, it, the snake's okay. I mean, it, it's maybe its eyes a little funky now on one side of its head, but it's it's gonna make it. Um, now you know now why I said to do this way. And he's like, yeah, but you know, he's like, I gotta get rid of the snake. And I'm like, no, you know. So the front end's not perfect anymore, but I sure the other end works just fine, and it'll be a great breeder. Don't you know? And he's like, no. Nah, every time I see it, it reminds me. And um, so I actually ended up getting that snake, and I'm very happy with that, that animal. It's a, it's a beautiful snake. But, um, you know, sometimes I wonder when they, when they set up these naturalistic uh, cages, are we doing this for the animal or are we doing it for us? We love to see something that looks, you know, like the jungle. But I always say, look, that animal lived in the jungle if it's a wild-caught animal. And when you put it inside of that cage, it's like, dude – I've been to the jungle. What the hell is this? Yeah. Or if it's a captive bred animal, it's like I was bred and I was I was raised in a plastic tub. What are you doing to me? You know, to me, it's it's sort of like I always say I always say the, uh, um, you know, uh, the settlers giving smallpox infected blankets to to Indian tribes and wiping out whole tribes. Uh, you know, the dirt from your yard, you can bake it but when, and, and introduce it to your naturalistic, I call it bioactive muck. You can introduce it to your cage, but when you start adding springtails and, and uh, thrips and, and isopods and all these different organisms to the cage, uh, they're probably, any organism that you're looking at probably has an organism that lives in it or on it. And yeah. if that's the case, well, I, I could almost bet you dollars to donuts that the organism that um, that they're that's living in or on them is not the same as what you might find uh, where that biak really comes from. And so this biak green tree has evolved its whole millennia to to come up with uh, um, ways to compete against. Uh, pathogens in its own environment, and then here you are subjecting them to a smallpox blanket. I, that's how I see it. Um, I like things simple. I like it sterile. But everybody has their own methodology, and if you're able to make it work and it works right, I'm not going to condemn you, your method just because it's different from mine. That's, you know, that's I, my take. I, I, like, I like that take, Harlan, and I also <laughs> – it does. And I also like to tell people, why would I want to put a, a bunch of uh, fancy plants and nice woodwork in there? I want them looking at the snake. You know? Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and some people say, well, the, how cruel is it that you put it in a plastic container? And I said, you know what? Um, uh, one time I had an inspector come by, and uh, he said, oh, what, what are you doing keeping these coral snakes? And I said, uh, well, those aren't coral snakes. Those are Stewart's milk snakes. This is back in the day. Some Stewart's used to come in many years ago. They used to come in pretty readily. And I said, I said, these are Stewart's milk snakes. And he says, um, he could see one sticking the, the, the coil of its body inside of a paper towel tube that I had inside of a plastic tub that slid into a rack and had just a plastic tub, uh, um, some substrate, and and then this this paper towel tube for a hide box and a water bowl and that was it and and a, oh, the whole rack was, was set up the same and he's like uh, those, those these containers are far too small for this snakes and I said let me show you something and I took him over to the incubator and I opened the incubator and I had all these tubs with eggs in it in 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 each of the tubs and I said when you can take wild caught import Stewart's milk snakes and do that with them. I'll listen to anything you have to say 
about husbandry. <laughs> and he's got this paper that's saying I have to have the whatever the, the the hypotenuse of the square root of the circumference divided by the I don't know I, that was how, how he's and he's saying any snake that measures this has to be in a cage this big and I said open any of these tubs and you'll find that all of them are as tight as a wedge inside of that paper towel tube if you open any of those tubs you will not see a milk snake crawling around in there because milk snakes kind of like they like to have the all sides of their body kind of compressed and squeezed and under a cross tie or a log or a rock. Or, and so this paper towel tube, it's purposely small so that they can get in there and kind of wedge themselves inside. He said, well, of course they're inside of these. He says, look, if you turn that paper towel tube up on end, it won't even slide out of it. Maybe you need larger hide boxes. And I said, no, these are just perfect. It's what makes that specific species comfortable. And, you know, whatever the species is that we're looking at, uh, although you can't interview them, uh, you you can pay attention to ethology, animal behavior, see what makes that animal comfortable. If it looks like it's sitting in a way that's uncomfortable, it's it's not behaving right. It's it's speaking to you, so you got to listen to the language that they can speak, and that's behavior. Well, I've always said the thing that separates good snake keepers from not good snake keepers are the ones that can read their snakes and not necessarily just read a book that tells them what to do. Right. Absolutely. Right on the money. A lot if, you can, if you're good at paying attention to them. Yeah. And, you know, and that that goes back to how we're setting them up. You know, the the clarity of these plastic tubs has improved immensely. And uh, and so you can put, set animals up and you can, if you spend the time in your snake room, uh, maybe instead of just all the time on Facebook. But anyway, if you, uh, if you spend the time um, in your snake room, you see the activities that you need to see. You know when to push, put this animal, this male in with that female because you're seeing activity. Um, and that's probably the biggest cue that the, the language that they do speak is, is, is behavior. And uh, some people are better at reading behavioral cues than others. The more time you spend with your snakes, the better you'll be at it. Yeah, excellent. You have people excellent. all the time that ask you why you do certain things you do, and it's like, well, that's because that's what my snakes tell me they're most happy with. Yeah. 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 Guys, I, I, um, Buddy will be angry with me if I don't get to a topic that he wanted us to discuss, and I know that if he was going to be on the show that he would have brought up, and oh, that yeah. was uh, the, the chondro pricing kind of current yeah. chondro pricing he's he has seen uh and i've seen it too you guys have probably seen it uh just multiple of course their social media posts about why is blank chondro so expensive you know how how are you coming up with that price there's no way it's worth that much we've already hit on it a little bit i think harlan was mentioning that you know you put a price on an animal based on what you think it's worth. And that a lot of things go into that. It's your, you know, your sweat equity that you put into it. You know, uh, I mean, but that's the, the seller's decision. Yeah, genetics. I mean, there's so many things that go into it. Ultimately, it's the seller's decision. Um, I never get upset with, with a price that the seller puts on an animal. Um, but I wanted to hear some of your guys' thoughts about, uh, again, how – how chondro, you know, currently are priced, and you can talk about Harlan, the imported ones that you price, or you can talk about uh, the ones that are, you know, Ryan 
some of the animals that you've bred and, and that, that you sold. How do you guys put a price on, on your animals, or how should we put a price on our animals? You know, um, I, I watched this with Buddy. I watched this thing unfold, and uh, I, I love it. Uh, the, the Buddy brought this thing up because we talked about it uh, pre-show. Um, I, I mean, it would have been great if he'd have been here. He's, he's just great to bounce ideas off of. But um, I had a friend that posted a snake, and he put it up there for nine grand. And these guys go, really? Seriously? What in the heck? Why would you think your animal's worth that much? And, and then I, I watched one that Buddy was involved with where the guy says, now, I don't know much about green tree pythons, but this animal could no, there's no way this animal could have that kind of value. And he said it correctly. He really said it correctly in the first line. The first line was, I don't know much about green tree pythons. The, this, <laughs> everything you say after that is negated. I mean, really. Um, you know, if, if you're looking on any kind of an advertisement and the, the price doesn't suit you, uh, it, it's too high, or you think, why is it so low? Do you type in there, wow, must be junk, you've got it priced so low. You don't know what that seller's situation is. It's none of your business. What they, if, you don't, if you think it's too low, hey, you know, keep scrolling, baby. If it's too high and you're like, ridiculous, that's not your place to make that comment, it's especially if that first line is, I'm not so familiar with green tree pythons, but doesn't that seem a little steep? The first comment is, you don't know much. And if you don't, look, I'm never going to tell a lawyer how to do his job. You know, don't tell somebody else how to do theirs if you're, if you're not acquainted with it. And if you are and you still think the price isn't right, look, that means you're not the customer, so keep scrolling. Yeah, uh, that's, true. that's kind of my thoughts on it. As far as pricing goes, for me, um, you know, the acclimation time that I get in, whether this animal is, is wild caught or, or captive bred, uh, it, it depends on, of course, how common or uncommon the animal is. It, it depends on the example of this animal. You could get, uh, for instance, you can get a Manaquarian that looks pretty humdrum and pretty commonplace, and you see it every time you turn around. And then you can get some in that you're just like, whoa, look at that. And so you price things according to the phenotype, uh, and, and that's just on, on single uh, uh, locality-type animals. But when you're uh, – and, and it depends on what, what kind of effort you put into it uh, as far as your, sure. how long you've had it, you know, all the care that you've provided for acclimating, treating, whatever it is, whether it's captive bred or it's farm bred. Um, the, the validity of, of its uh, labeled um, genetic background, whether it's something you produced – or someone else, uh, you, you acquired it here from a, a U.S. breeder. You, all of those things kind of kind of come into play, and and of course, if you if you have an animal and you you price it with some ridiculously outlandish price, um, really keep in mind as a seller that that doesn't mean that that's what you're going to get out of it, and that you probably will cause some snickering at, at your expense. And really, all you're doing is advertising for the other guy. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if I see That's your price point, yeah. and it's just crazy, uh, as a seller, you should know that when you price a crazy price on there, all you're doing is saying, "I really don't want to sell this animal, but you could buy one from so and so for cheaper." So you know. Right. Uh, it, it's not a race. It's a, the, the finish line is not is not selling uh, the snake and, and counting your money. 
Uh, I think it's great that sellers earn money on their animals. Some people say, oh, so-and-so is all about the money. I haven't met one person uh, who doesn't care about what, what they're earning on it. Look, it's okay to earn money. It means that you can use that money to, to provide better care for your animals, that you can take your projects in new directions because you have the funding to be able to jump on the next uh, opportunity. It's okay to earn money on animals. And really, if you're honestly, uh, another good friend of mine said, if you're doing it right, it should earn for you. So there's nothing wrong right. with earning Absolutely. money, but, but, um, but anyway, I, I mean, I, I guess that's kind of how I do it. But I'd be curious to hear what, what Ryan's thoughts are on, on pricing animals too. Um, it's a, it seems like it's a more complex deal now than it used to be. Uh, I guess coming up when I did, the uh, locality animals were generally considered, you know, not, impressive or not worth as much as designer stuff and so you had it seemed like most wild caught or locality stuff was anywhere from 350 to 800 dollars and designer stuff at the time was anywhere from 800 to several thousand dollars um there does seem to be a little bit of a shift now it seems like there's more people interested in locality stuff um but the price is still all over the place. You see, as Harlan said, somebody has a manifari that's $350 or $400, and somebody else has one for $1,500. And uh, yeah. there's many reasons for all the above. If it's an exceptional example, if it's a female, if it's captive bred, what do its parents look like? It's, um, you know, I mean... I would say the bulk of the green pythons on the market, we really don't know what the parents look like. Um, whether they're great examples or not great examples. Um, and so I think it's fair that those animals, you know, don't garner as much um, money as, as you know, an animal where you do know what the parents look like or what it looks like. Um, and it's... Uh, so it's an interesting dilemma either way. And, and at the end of the day, it's the seller's animal. They're free to do whatever they want with it. And if somebody, you know, the market, it'll you'll get what it's worth because if it's if you overprice it, nobody will pay it. If you um, if that's you it. underprice it's only it, I guess what that's someone's willing bad. to pay. That's right. Right. Uh, you know, I think it also like. Uh, uh, Rico was great about this. He he had this ability. Uh, he really understood when it comes to designer type animals or animals that have been you know several generations of combinations. I mean, I I kind of break them up where there's uh, locality animals, locality designers, and then designers. And designers may not have all of the locale information. They may have an incredibly impressive pedigree, but they may not have all of that locality in, information. Whereas a locality designer has both a good pedigree and it has the the makeup of what what each locality was that was injected into this uh, this the pedigree along the way. Um, so what what Rico he could take two snakes that anybody else would look at them and say 
green snake on a branch, but he understood the backgrounds and that pedigree and what was in there and the potential of two animals. Some of the most impressive animals that he made came from two adults that if you were to advertise him, you probably wouldn't get very much for him. But if you saw the combination of those two animals put together, whatever it is in the, the alleles, he understood this should combine well with that. And even though I would say like uh, phenotypically is what color of a Corvette you have. Uh, genotypically is what's under the hood, right? And right. so right. on the outside, phenotypically, he says, ah, it's just a green snake, it's, but I know its sibling turned out like this, and I know the mother, the dam turned out this way, and the, and the, the sire was this way, and so this one just looks kind of green, and nobody wanted to sell it or buy it when I offered it for sale. Uh, as soon as it turned green, nobody cared anymore. And so I'm going to hold this girl back, and I'm going to breed her with something really cool. Down the road, he found another one. Eh, this is just another green snake. So he kind of has a, green, a dink, dinking project with something that it wasn't really going to sell top dollar for him anyway. Uh, but he knew these are worth hanging on to because paired up, uh, they're going to make the next 05188. You know what I mean? This is yeah. uh, this is the magic about green trees in general is that it is uh, Ryan Burke uh, once said uh, they are the thinking man's game and he's right on the money. We we used to always talk about this where it's uh, you know you can't tell uh, what gender they are when they're hatched. Uh, you you can't tell exactly how they're going to turn out. So as a breeder, it makes you uh, kind of hold tight to the clutch until you see what direction things are going, um, until you know that you've got your hedge, you've hedged your bets so that you have the right gender, uh, the numbers of the ratio, sex ratios that you need to continue this project in whichever direction you're going with it. And as a buyer, it makes you say, oh, you know, I don't know which one of those babies is going to turn out spectacular. So if I buy the three that are the most interesting or diverse to me, I, I'm, I'm hedging my bets to have hopefully a male and a female in there and maybe yeah. uh I, I can certainly keep the best two right and i can sell the other ones right. this look at what the siblings turned out like you see what i'm saying it's so it's very much and this goes back to when you're when ryan said uh uh ryan young when he said a moment ago uh that anybody could read snakes if they understand how to read the recipe um but not everybody can sell snakes and um, so one guy may be able to get a lot more for the same snake than another guy because he understands the potential of that animal and he knows the right customer to offer it to and how to offer it. There's a, there really is a, a, a sort of an etiquette to the way you go about things, and, um, and, and people will pay more to deal with someone that they trust. So Absolutely. half of selling snakes, half of selling snakes successfully – uh, I would say three-fourths of it has to do with, with uh, your reputation that you've created. Um, people want to see someone that has longstanding consistency and stability, and they want to have somebody that's going to shoot them straight. And, you know, uh, it's, there's no problem for me when somebody calls me up and says, what do you have? And I said, well, I have this such-and-such such snake. It's captive bred. It was produced by so-and-so, I, and I have this animal. It's a really nice example. It was a wild caught, and they're like, whoa, wild caught? And I'm like, yeah, look, it's no problem to say, I'm sure that this is an animal that's wild-caught. Here's what I've done to treat it. 
because you're laying all the cards on the table and you're giving that uh, customer a chance to really analyze and make the, a sound decision. It's when you, when you uh, represent that animal falsely that now you've thrown a different wrinkle into the gig and they, they're, they're basing their decision on the information that you've provided. And if you're providing lies, I guarantee that sooner or later that will come back and bite you in the ass. Yeah, yep. it, it will come up. You know, it's it sure just a matter will. of time. You're you're you're, you're starting you're setting your own uh, ticking time bomb. So just, I mean, you know, these are those third grade lessons. You know, treat people like you want to be treated. Honesty is the best policy. Uh, everybody's going to have mistakes, and and you're dealing with live animals. I always said, uh, anything you buy from me, I guarantee will die. And people are like. <gasps> I said, yeah, I said, because it's alive, you know, we've, guess what, right. you're doing it right now, we're all dying because we're alive, we're, we're living, but that also means that we're, we're on our way out, nobody, uh, what did Jim Morrison say, no one here gets out alive, you know, and that's, it's just, it is what it is, uh, I, I also say, um, you know, the, they always say, uh, the customer always comes first, and I say, hogwash, the, ho- the customer does not come first, the animal comes first. You know, if you yeah. put the yep. animal first, you didn't call me for my sweet, charming personality. You called me for the best snake that I can provide for you. And if I put my my sweat, blood, and tears into that animal and I send you what you were really after, then you're going to feel like I put you first. But I'm here to assure you, baby, I put that animal first because it makes – you know, they say, well, well, I can only receive animals on Friday. Can you ship it to me on Thursday? And I say, I'm sorry I don't do that. I'll only ship Monday through Wednesday. And they're like, well, but the customer's always right. And I say, no, look, uh, I don't drive the trucks and I don't fly the planes, neither do you, and it, it's probably a damn good thing. But, but um, if there's a hiccup in their system and it's delayed for a day, they aren't going to ship over the weekend. And I think you're probably a better person to care for this animal than the guys working at FedEx. And when you put it in that, yeah. everybody wants to receive their animal, and they're all itching to get it right now. But if you if you have the patience uh, with your 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 seller, um, and make sure that it gets there when it needs to. And if you have to wait on the weather, or, or if the, the seller discovers there's an issue, and he says, "Let me address this first, and and we'll get it taken care of, and then I'll send you a better product." The bottom line is, you want the best animal, and so. Uh, you know that that should be your focus. Anyway, both as a yeah, buyer. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. It's um, you know, it just if you send an animal to somebody that's not ready for it, you're not doing the animal any favors, you're not doing the person any favors, and you're not doing you yourself as a responsible, you know, breeder and sell for any favors. I mean, because the animal's going to do poorly, the customer's not going to be satisfied, and if you do the right thing, you're going to end up, you know, potentially losing money on it. So, you know, why do it? Why send an animal to somebody that's not ready for it? I, I don't understand people that do it. Right. You know, I uh, one time, I'll tell one on myself, one time I was sending a snake to this guy in Rhode Island. It was an emerald tree boa. And I had sexed the animal and taken pictures of the animal, and I'd had the animal for a long time. And when, it, when they first arrived, I'm like, let's get, let's get the, the, the uncomfortable.
uncomfortable stuff out of the way first. We can set this animal up and let it kind of breathe in and out for a minute. So sex it and everything first, set it up, let it, let it chill, go through its quarantine process, whatever. And then finally, when it's time to sell the snake, I've taken pictures of this. The mistake I made is they, all the photos from all the different animals that I was offering at the, at the time had the same background, right? And they were all emerald. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I sent this, I, I, I was going to send this snake to this guy, um, and uh, it, it, you know, I had probed it as a female, and then, uh, you know, when it came time to send it out, I was getting ready to bag it up, and a lot of times before I send something out, again, you're having to kind of, you know, uh, deal with an animal physically, uh, it, it's, it's a stressful time, so I'll sometimes resex the snake just to confirm we, we're doing what we what we said, and, and uh, we're giving the customer what they want. So I resex the snake, and uh, when I go to resex it, it, it averts hemipenes, and out come these big wads of shed, shed plugs. Well, some people call them sperm plugs, and that's why it probed as a female, because I was jamming up against these shed plugs, and the probe wasn't going in like it should. But as soon as he pumped those out, it popped his hemipenes out, and out came these these, these shed plugs, I was like, oh, my goodness. And I called the customer up before. You know, some people just go, eh, tough luck. Let him figure it out. I mean, you don't want to deal with that guy. You're better to get the call that may be initially disappointing or may, may, may yep. make you scratch your head and go, what is this guy pulling some fast one on? It's better to get that phone call from the guy than somebody who just sends it to you and goes, eh, he'll figure it out. You know, he needs a female. That's what he needs. So I called him up and I said, Hey man, uh, he's like you told me that was a female, and I and he got he got hot under the collar, man. He was he told he called. I learned a whole new vocabulary, um, <laughs> but uh, you know uh, he hung up on me, and then he called me back later, and he got got mad and hung up on me again. Finally, his wife called me and said, "I'm going to apologize for him." While well, he calms down, she's like, uh, "Tell me what I told her what what happened," and and she says, "Well, he's looking at the photos, and he thinks you're trying to slip." you know slide the fast one past him and and i said no i said here's the photos i you know the the advertisement back in the day you know king snake they uh, i don't even advertise there anymore but they had a limited time that your your ad ran for a certain time then it then it pulled it back off and then you could re renew it so anyway i said hey it's, i still have that ad uh, I can I can put it back up there so you can see it. I can pull the pictures from it so you can see it. And I, I brought it back up and I showed him the pictures. These are the ones that were females that were already sold. This is the same snake. Here's a picture of it now. And here, and, and he, he saw saw what it was. And he's like, all right. Um, I said, so it really isn't a female. I thought it was. This was my mistake. If you want your money back, I'll give you your money back. If you want to change to a different snake, we can change to a different snake. I don't have any other females. If you want this animal, I'll send you this. Animal. It's up to you. And he's like, I'll take the animal and keep your eyes out for a good female. And he ended up buying a female from me too. But yeah, the, the bottom line is you may take a little heat. Uh, if you have an animal that has a, a whatever, a kink tail or, or any kind of a flaw, point it out ahead of time. And then, and then, look, you shouldn't look at it like, um, well, now if I show them this, then they're going to haggle the socks off of me for the imperfection. Look, how can they haggle your socks off when you say, I have priced this, this animal accordingly as it has a, a stub tail, as, as it has a, a small scar on its back that, that I noticed. Here's a picture of the scar. You've divulged all of the information up front. You've priced it accordingly and let the customer know, this is why it's priced here, and you're you're informing them completely, and uh, you're you 
you're without you're without any kind of um uh negativity how can that be a blemish on your reputation if you're allow, if you're being uh forthright with with your customer you know yeah. and, and it goes yeah. the same on on the for the customer too they when you don't hear right you message somebody and he didn't answer me back and you start freaking out um sometimes life happens a friend of mine bought a snake here just recently and didn't hear from the seller for like three or four days, and he was he was rightfully kind of freaking out. He's like, man, they're not even returning my messages. I've emailed them, I've Facebooked messaged them. The, I, I, you know, what's going on? I, this isn't someone who's really well known in the community. And then he's sweating bullets because uh, he paid with PayPal, friends and family, and he's kind of freaking out. But um, you know, he, he reached out and talked to me a little bit. I said, well, I'll see if I, there's something I can do to help you. And we talked a little bit about it, and then. Within an hour, he, he messaged me back, and he goes, there was a death in the family, and everything's kosher. Uh, and, and that's how it often goes. Sometimes we have to have a little patience back up because life is happening to all of us. And um, you just don't yeah, know, yeah. you know what's going on on the well, other end. Yeah, I mean, it's but it certainly is a lot easier to comfort yourself when uh, somebody like you know, Harlan Wall doesn't answer for a few days, then somebody you don't know, never heard of, or never done business with before, you know, that doesn't uh, respond to you after a few days, you know? Right. You know? Right. That's it. And, you know, it's, we're, we live in this age of kind of the everything's instant, you know, it's, uh, but life isn't sometimes so instant and things, you know, uh, hiccups come up and, uh, you know, we, we saw this whole whole uh, the fiasco with the hurricanes in Texas and in Florida, and you know, it's. I had a friend that said, "Why why do I care about what's going on there? I live over here." And I said, "But it's going through this hub here, and so it's going to. They're backlogged with all of this traffic of of boxes that have been shifted from from a hub there to to here." I said. You, they want us to hold off. And uh, sometimes I mean, it helps, like, just copy and paste when you see a warning from your – if you're using Ship Your Reptiles or, or another company, whatever company it is that you're using, and they have a warning posted up there, copy and paste that and send it in your email and say, here's what we're having a de- delay. It it's all goes back to yeah. communication and how we treat each other and talk to one another, keep people appraised, stay in contact with them, and they'll feel a lot happier. Yeah. I wanted to ask, do you know anything about what's going on with ICAST this year? Off the subject, but, but an interesting topic. Uh, I have not heard a word about ICAST this, this year. Are you talking about 2018? Yeah, well, whenever it's, are they are they doing one here in 2018? Are they doing one in 2000? I haven't heard anything since the last ICAST. I didn't go to the the last one, but... I was just curious if uh, if you guys heard anything. Is there is there are there are plans? I haven't heard anything but, yet. So, well, but but he's thrown a couple of hints out there, but I haven't heard anything anything solid. So, that's, interesting. That's well, maybe he'll be able to come back and and uh, tell us in your uh, the next episode you guys have. He'll we, maybe he'll share some more. I'll listen need, in for sure. Yeah, we need to pester him for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Hey guys, Very we're cool. uh, winding up. We're coming right up on our two-hour time limit. So, um, if there's anything else you guys want to put out there real quick, uh, let me know. And if not, we'll start wrapping up the show. Sounds great. Sounds great. I had a great time on 
and I was honored to be uh, invited to to join you guys tonight. And I, I always uh, love interacting with Ryan. Uh, he's just a down-to-earth dude who has a ton of experience under his belt and and uh, really eclectic uh, uh, taste in some incredible animals. And I, I think of a lot of him uh, and you too, Bill. Uh, you know, it's it's just nice to be. Um, in a group of people that you have a lot of respect for everyone all the way around. And so thank you guys for inviting me uh, tonight. I appreciate it. Well, thanks we for the can't thank you enough for... And, yeah, and, can't and thank you, thank enough you for buddy. I know you'll hear this. So. <laughs> well, thank you, Harlan, for coming on. And, Ryan, I can't thank you enough for uh, sharing your time with us tonight, uh, especially I know you were getting over kind of a little bit of the sickness and um, you had uh, last kind of last minute notice. So I want to really thank you for the time you tonight too. So did you see that plot? The the, the sickness. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great snake. I can't wait to see what you, what you get out of that Cyclops girl, buddy. I mean, uh, it's going to be awesome, Bill. So. Yeah, I'll, you'll you'll know October second because that's going to be exactly fifty two days, and I know so that's exactly when they're going to hatch. There well, you go. Uh, your snakes read the Bible. <laughs> they know. <laughs> Thank you guys the Bible very much. 50, it? Oh gosh, <laughs> is it fifty? I thought it was fifty. <laughs> hey, thanks so much, uh, guys. Good luck to both of you and your stuff. Thank you. All right, take care, Harlan. All right, take care. Bye bye.